It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to the Curious Nixons podcast, where we lead you through the darkness. I'm Loretta, and today I'm going to be talking about Minnie and Ed Morin. I'm Alex, and I'm going to tell you the story of Nellie Bly. All right, here we go. Here we go. Today, I'm going to be talking about Minnie and Ed Morin. December 19th, 1985, Minnie, 81, and Ed's 83 family arrived at their house for a Christmas get-together that they had planned, but no one was home. The family knew immediately that something was wrong and that they would not have missed out on these plans. The family reported them as missing to the police. The next day, a witness reported seeing the couple's car abandoned with keys inside. Police arrived to investigate and found large amounts of blood throughout the car, but Minnie and Ed were nowhere to be seen. I don't know where this is going. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Are Minnie and Ed dead? I guess. Keep going. Tell me more. (laughs) So, many more witnesses came forward in the following days saying that they saw the car at Sterling Savings and Loan Bank. Records show that Ed withdrew $8,500 from the bank. On December 24th, 1985, the couple was found in the woods. Okay. Autopsy had shown that the couple died on the day that they went missing from shotgun wounds to their backs. They were killed while sitting in the front seat of their vehicle, then dragged out to the woods. At their funeral, their son promised to find who had done this to them. It didn't take long for police to have prime suspects, but with little evidence, it was difficult to pursue. Rick and John Riff, probably. (laughs) I don't know if it's Riff or Rife. I didn't even think about it. I don't know either. I'm just going to go with Riff. Became their prime suspects after... (laughs) could be though you never know names are fucking awkward but (laughs) yeah um so rick and john riff became their prime suspects after a deputy pulled the pair's photos after a police array the deputy said that he had seen them driving around town in the morin's car they obviously suspected that the brothers had kidnapped the couple to rob them and shot them once they obtained the money The locals were afraid of the brothers, so even though police talked like they knew exactly what happened, no one would come forward with information. Oh, okay. This case remained cold for decades until 2012. Police were ready to head to Alaska, where the brothers had moved to make an arrest. John Riff had died a week before police came to arrest them. Oh, damn. I know. Irony. Right. So frustrating. Rick was arrested and found guilty in his part of the kidnapping, robbery, and murder of Ed and Minnie. 
He was sentenced to 103 years in prison. Rick didn't personally say anything, but his lawyer conveyed the message that Rick felt no remorse and would not apologize for something he didn't do. Okay. I mean, I guess what was their evidence for arresting them? I don't even know. Like, maybe somebody finally came forward. And said something? Yeah. Huh. It, yeah, I don't think it said what they had. Probably with the, like, new technology and shit, they are able to retest some of the shit. And found some... Like, hairs or fibers in the right. car, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe since they'd taken off to Alaska, some people were finally like, okay, I can say something. <laughs> These people are good. Yeah, that too. <laughs> It goes on, though. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, Deborah George had an online relationship with Riff, the live one. The live one. The live one. Not the dead one? Correct. Oh, okay. And would go on to tell many of the details as they were described to her by Riff, as well as some of the other disturbing conversations they had. Deborah's husband, Larry, was familiar with the Riff brothers and said that he had loaned his shotgun to one of them, but didn't receive it back until years later, and that it had, it had been altered to be sawn off. Oh, that's nice. Let me borrow your shotgun and saw it off for you. Thanks so much. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Right? Rick had sent a Facebook friend request to the account that the Georges shared, but it wasn't accepted by Larry, but Deborah accepted it about a month later because she was curious to know more about him. They talked often, but she was always instructed to delete the messages when the conversations were finished. Uh, it started as a friendship where they shared everything with each other and eventually became sexual. Riff told George that Ed was hit in the head with the shotgun because he refused to exit the vehicle. This was confirmed by medical examiner reports. George also stated that Riff requested that she have sex with a dog and a donkey and that he wanted to have sex with her where the Morins were murdered. Ew. Yeah. Like, he's fucking gross. Fucking gross. Ew. Yeah. I could have lived my whole life without hearing that. And yeah. I'm sure you could have too, dear listener. I'm so kidding. sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I mean, like, he shouldn't have said it. Like, yeah, no. We're all fucked up Ew. from it. <laughs> I'm traumatized. <laughs> he also said that he liked having sex where the dead people are. In reference to graveyards. Okay. Yeah, like, he's just fucking gross. The news of Riff's arrest and trial spread, and a woman recognized the man from her past. A name and face she was hoping to never see or hear again, but she knew that she should come forward. She pressed charges against Riff for molesting her as a child when he was her mother's boyfriend. Oh, she spoke for five minutes, and Riff never looked up from the table. She said, I am a victim of Rick Riff. He knows that. Nearly 30 years ago, I had a horrible childhood and a horrible life with that man. Him and my mother and his brother were horrible people, but today I am here as a survivor. I am a survivor of nature, by chance, and most importantly, a survivor of life. Two of the Morin's surviving children attended this trial, Riff received six years and three months to run concurrently with the murder charges. What a fuck. Yeah. Both of them. Both of them. Yeah. Fuck them. And, like, 
you can see the pictures of like Ed and Minnie and stuff, and obviously I'm gonna post them, but they just look so sweet and like yeah, obviously sweet little old people. They cared about their family. Like that's just so fucking devastating. Like yeah. they got what they wanted, and like they should have just fucking left them alone. Yeah, I mean they should have robbed him anyway. Well, but no, he definitely but... probably shouldn't have killed him. But yeah, <sighs> just fucked. So can you imagine? Time. First of all, can you imagine like killing anybody? But no, going to a sweet little old couple's house and. No. Like, with just little old people that can't really... Well, I don't seems... want to say that old people can't defend themselves, but you know what I mean. Right. But it seems like they were completely complying. Like... Right. They went to their bank from their house. Right. Or whatever. And, and he went, took out all the money. He went into the bank, got the money, and didn't say, like, hey, call the cops. But they probably had Minnie in the car, and they're like, if the cops pull up, we'll just shoot her. Could be. But then I'd be, like, I don't know. I'd probably do it anyway, because... I I would hope that I'd figure out that they're going to kill me anyway. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I might as well just... Because they might not. It could just be a bluff. Right. Exactly. But if they think they're going to get away with it... Yeah. Because if the cops had shown up in this very public area with cameras and shit and, like, mm-hmm. witnesses, would they have killed somebody right there? Because then it's murder or robbery charges. Yeah. But instead, obviously, they took them somewhere secluded... And, and shot them, them, so I would say it would have been better to have tried to fight back, like right. tell somebody to call the police. I mean, I know sad. hindsight's hindsight, and it's easy to sit here and be like, "Well, I would have done this." Not saying that it's their fault that they were no, murdered. absolutely no. no. It was those douchebags' fault that they were murdered, but yeah. It's just crazy, because usually when people get murdered during a robbery, it's because they were being stubborn and, like, not complying or whatever, you right. know? But, so it's so frustrating that they even went out of their way to get these guys well, that they money. Yeah, and they still got hurt. For real. Well, that sucks. Yeah. But at least one of them went to jail. Yep. Fuck them. Fuck them. Burn in hell or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, that's all for my story, so we'll be back right after this break. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. So, I'm going to tell you the story of an awesome lady named Nellie Bly. You watched American Horror Story. Yeah. You watched the Asylum um, season. Yes. Okay. You remember, I can't remember her last name, but it's Sarah Paulson's character. Her name's Lana. I just remember Lana Banana. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know how she's like a reporter and she goes like undercover into the asylum? Yeah. So, this, which I put together later, must, it must be the inspiration for that character. Mm -hmm. So, Nellie Bly, this isn't. Her actual name. Her name, her given name when she's born is Elizabeth Jane Cochran. She's born in May, she's born May 5th, 1864 in Cochran's Mills, which her, I think her grandfather actually like settled Mm -hmm. the town. 
It's cool. near Pittsburgh. And can I just tell you that I didn't realize that Pittsburgh was spelt the way it's spelled, <laughs> which seems so dumb. But there is a lot of letters. Yeah, I was like Pittsburgh, Burr, Burr. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, because it's like B U R G H, and I was like, no, yeah. that's, that's just Pittsburgh. <laughs> so mm-hmm. near Pittsburgh, she had fourteen siblings, and she a lot of like girls her age and in that time were wearing a lot of like kind of drab like darker colors, but she liked to dress in pink. Oh. So, her nickname growing up was Pinky. <laughs> right. She ends up kind of going to school to try to be a teacher, but she ends up dropping out. But she kind of has, like, a love of writing, which, yeah. at the time, most professions for women, you could, like, be a teacher or you're a housewife. Mm-hmm. So, in 1880, a newspaper column called What Girls Are Good For comes out, and it pisses her off because it's, like, girls are good for keeping house and having babies and that's it that's what women should be doing she ends up (laughs) she ends up writing a response article under the pseudonym lonely orphan girl her response catches the attention of editor george madden who ends up writing an advert for lonely orphan girl to come and meet him he then ends up hiring her to write for the paper and it was customary for later lady writers at the time to always have pen names. Nellie Bly was chosen for her after the popular song Nellie Bly by Stephen Foster. Nellie, so the original Nellie is N-E-L-L-Y. Mm-hmm. And her name is spelled N-E-L-L-I-E. And it was actually a typo, but it stuck. Oh, okay. In the beginning, she's writing about like cooking, gardening, those types of like ladies columns uh-huh. and then she kind of wants to do something bigger and better she wants something different right so she writes um, an article about working conditions for female factory workers um, the effects that divorce had on women at the time her mom her dad had passed away when she was young and her mom remarried this like total douchebag uh-huh. and when she was getting a divorce from him Nellie had to testify on behalf of her mom when she was a teenager about what an asshole that her stepdad was. Yeah. And her mom ended up walking away from the situation, almost losing everything. That's so frustrating. Yeah. So she writes about how unfair divorce can be for women in the situation. Yeah. She spends six months living in Mexico, serving as a foreign co- correspondent, and writes, like, a little book called Six Months in Mexico, just, like, learning, like, customs and culture there and everything. Nice. When she comes back, she ends up quitting the paper she had been at and took herself to the World News paper. She comes in and she's pitching a story to this, I think, like, the CEO or guy that is running the joint. Uh-huh. A story that she believes will appeal to immigrants mm-hmm. in the area to sell more papers to that demographic. Instead, this gentleman who's running a place named Joseph Pulzer pitches the idea that she goes undercover into the Blackwell Island woman's lunatic asylum Hmm. she decides that she's going to take the job so she practices being insane trying to make like faces in the mirror she'd never really been around like a person with some kind of mental disability or Uh mental illness so she's just like making faces in the mirror and trying to figure out how she's going to do this so she ends up checking into a boarding a woman's boarding house and she just plays crazy like all night long she just will stare at the wall for like hours at a time and then 
like is yelling at the women in there refusing to go to sleep so they eventually are terrified and they call the cops the cops come and get her she is taken in and evaluated by a doctor and is sent is committed to the asylum so she accomplishes her task when she gets there um it's obviously terrible right there the patients are essentially made to sit on like church pews like, all day and night. And I don't know if you ever sat in, like, a regular, like, old-school church pew. Yeah. So uncomfortable. Yeah. Just, like, wooden benches with straight backs. And right. they're just expected to sit there all day long. That's they're beaten by nurses and, like, tormented by nurses. Um, fed rotten food, dirty water, rotten meat, um, bread that was just, like, dried dough. Like, not even baked. Oh. Um, everywhere is surrounded... With, like, excrement and rats crawling all over the place. Mm-hmm. Aggressive patients are tied together, so they can't move that freely. And then the bathing regimen is, I think, what really, like, kind of got to Nelly. Yeah. They just would throw these ladies in tubs of dirty cold water and dump freezing water on their heads and then scrub them very aggressively with brushes. Yeah. She also notices that when she gets there, she kind of drops, like, the crazy act. Like, she just, I think maybe she got, like, a little scared or whatever and was like, oh, my God. Because uh-huh. the people that were actually, like, having fits were, like, getting the shit kicked out of them by the nurses. Oh, yeah. And so she kind of just drops the crazy act and is just acting normal. And then she starts to notice that any, like, just normal things that she does, the nurses are like, oh, that's a symptom of your insanity. And she's like, what? And they're like, you're crazy. Um, and then she starts talking to some of the other patients there who she's like, these women aren't insane. Like, they're not insane, um, but they're, like, trapped there. Like, she describes it as a rat trap where it's easy to get in and it's hard to get out. Unless, basically, unless someone is going to come and get you, you're not getting out. Right. And I think a lot of times women were just, like, dumped there when yeah. they became an inconvenience. Right. So she ends up spending 10 days here and then the people from the paper come and retrieve her. Mm-hmm. And when they come and get her, she's like, yeah, I'm going to write a story about all this. And they're like, oh, shit. Because <laughs> the reason they send her in to do the investigation is because there had been rumors of, like, the terrible conditions that people were living under, but nobody really knew for sure because I think when they knew that someone else was going to come in, they'd kind of clean shit up and act right. not so terrible. Right? Yeah, of course. Once she gets out, she writes her article called 10 Days in a Madhouse. It grabs the attention of the public, and there's an outrage and a major reform of the asylums and, like, hospitals. Sanitariums, is that what you call them, too? Uh, yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. There's um, more laws put in place, and Good. things are kind of changed. And I believe that's kind of the same thing she did with her factory article. Like, she went undercover into a woman's factory and worked there for a minute and just observed all of the conditions and then things called that, them out for it. Right, then called them out. And I don't know if that was yeah. before or after like the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. You've heard of that, right? No. That's a good story too. Basically they would had all these women up in this building and they started locking them into their like workroom so that the girls wouldn't go take breaks and stuff. Oh. And then something went on fire and the doors were locked so the women couldn't get out and all these women ended up burning to death or jumping out out of the windows and killing themselves because they couldn't get out. And so that was a major... Had some things changed there. Yeah, it was, it was terrible. 
But her story doesn't really stop there. She decides to try to travel around the world in less than 80 days, inspired by the fictional novel Around the World in 80 Days. Mm -hmm. When she pitched the idea to her boss, he told her that basically she couldn't because she was a woman, she needed an escort, and she had... She would have too much luggage to carry by herself because traditionally that's how women traveled. Like, right. they had ba- boxes and boxes of luggage. Um, they had an escort with them, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And she's like, bitch bet. So she sets off. Well, initially when they're arguing about it, she writes, like, basically start a dude the same day that I leave and I will beat him back. Try me. Nice. So she ends up leaving by herself. She only takes... I think two smallish bags, enough for her to carry, Uh and has her money tied in a bag around her neck. Uh She leaves. She goes around the world. She completes her task in 72 days. Oh, very good. Yes. So she beats it. She goes on to write many articles and is very successful. And in 1895, she marries millionaire Robert Seaman. She's 31, and he's 73. Hmm. After his death, well, and it's kind of amazing because... A lot of women got married when they were really, really young. Right. And whatnot. And she would say, like, I'm not getting married at all. So. Yeah. I don't really know what. I think she must have just really liked this guy. Yeah. And he was also a millionaire. So. Right. I don't know. I doubt she needed the money. Yeah, I was going to say, I think she's pretty successful on her own. So, I'd say she just liked him. Right. So, that's cool. He ends up dying and she takes over his spot as the head of the Ironclad Manufacturing Company. She ends up reporting on the front front lines of World War One and is even arrested after being suspected of being a British spy. Hmm. The company that she takes over, unfortunately, though, um, ends up going bankrupt. There's just, like, quotes of how awesome she was to work for because she made sure that people were taken care of. But then she kind of spent money making sure that people were getting taken care of and having time off and right. people kind of seemed to blame that on why the company ended up going under. I see. Just was a little bit too giving there. Right. When the women's suffrage movement comes along, she's a big advocate for that, obviously. She writes an article called Suffragist Are Men's Superiors. (laughs) Hmm. January 27th, 1922, she passes away at 57 from pneumonia. She kind of changed, like, the world of journalism and definitely kind of changed the world for women writers and, like, women just in general. Yeah. She wasn't taking no shit, and she was all about showing people that women could do things that weren't really accepted at the time and were capable of doing things like traveling alone or being successful writers, things like that, and writing more than just about cooking and gardening and sewing. Right. So it's pretty cool. And It is. That's great. Awesome lady. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed this story and Loretta's story previously. Don't forget to burn some sage and charge your crystals and kick some ass. Hell yeah. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Any questions, comments, or concerns can be messaged to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to follow us there for updates and pictures related to the episodes. We also have merch on Spreadshirt, and we have a Patreon. All links can be found in the description. We'll We'll see see you on the other side. side!